Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him there on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Let's pray for Pastor Mike as he comes to share. Lord, these words are powerful and they are life and they bring to us the keys to understanding what it means to to follow you, Lord, and it's to believe. And as Mike comes, Lord, I know that in his heart he believes. He believes more strongly in this truth than in any other truth that exists. And I know that your spirit has filled him, and as he prepares to deliver this message, God, I know that you will also work in the hearts of those whom you have called, that they would hear and believe as well. So bless him as he comes in Jesus' name, and bless us as we hear. Amen. morning. I want to share with you a a little good news as we get to the uh, sermon this morning. Some really good news. Uh, Next week, um, myself and several others get to go to annual conference. That's not the good news. What the good news is, is something is happening there. Um, You have been part of the shaping and the growing and the guiding of two of the men uh, that will be ordained elders in the United Methodist Church, which is the highest level of ordination. Uh, Pastor John Moss will be ordained, and Pastor Matthew German will be ordained next uh, Sunday morning. And I'm blessed to be able to be part of both of those ordinations, so I'd be encouraging you to 
uh, pray forward. You, you may not know it unless you're on Staff Parish, but you're giving them a really nice gift, so thank you uh, for that. Uh, some plaques we had made. Probably should have shown them one, but uh, I do want to remind you of, of, of that and, and be praying for them. John is the pastor at Prairie Chapel in Albernet, north of our town, and Matt German is the pastor at Marengo and has been for the last uh, year or so, both of those gentlemen. Our sermon leans right into John chapter 6, and it starts with this. What do you want? What do you want? What, what, do, you, what do you really want? What do you really want? I, I used to be part of a, uh, a Bible study. It met early, early on a Tuesday morning. It, 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 it met at Coco's that used to be JoJo's. That was between Pepe's and Chi-Chi's. I'm not kidding you. That's where it was. It was between Pepe's and Chi-Chi's, and it was in the Coco's restaurant that used to be JoJo's, so it was easy to find, right? But, but we had this Bible study of young adults, and we literally filled the restaurant so much so that they moved their opening hour from 6.30 to 8 because we filled their entire seating area at, at sometimes having over 160 young adults in there. And so, so we, had, we, had, we had grown quite a bit. And one day as we were leaving, or, or as we were actually just coming in, there was a, a young woman named Kelly. She, she worked at the 24-hour fitness club right next to the, to, to, to the place. And, and she was coming in for some breakfast. And, and we said, hey, come on, be part of our Bible study. Come join us. And she came and joined us. And we shepherded her along, introduced her to Jesus Christ, get, got her a Bible. She never had a Bible in her whole life. She was in her 20s, you know. Got her a Bible. And she sat was with a number of us at, at our table, and usually that's kind of what we do it. The people who would invite someone new and then would, would sit, sit with them. And, uh, and she had a friend named Tara. <clears throat> now, you have to know Tara. Uh, you'll never get to meet her probably, but Tara went to Baylor. Now, when you're from Waco, Texas, you don't pronounce that school's name as Baylor. It's pronounced Baylor, okay? And so Tara that went to Baylor was sitting next to Kelly, and Kelly was, you know, the waiters, waiter came and said, what do you want? And, and, and Kelly was flipping through that menu. It was one of those, you know, laminated menus so they can wipe off the syrup, you know, really easy and stuff. And she's going back and forth. And, and, and he said to her a second time, what, what do you want? And she, she said, I don't know. Now, now, reference the fact that she was getting off work, not going to work like the rest of us. The rest of us were ordering toast and coffee and stuff like that. And so Tara then said to her, Kelly, tell him what you really want. She says, I just got off work. What I really want is a bowl of chili and a hot fudge Sunday. 6.30 in the morning. And he says, okay, I can do that for you. Not a problem at all. Now, I'm not going to talk about the menu of, you know, Coco's. It used to be, it's in the old JoJo's building. It's between Pepe and Chi-Chi's. That's not, not what we're here to talk about today. But what I do want to talk to you about is this question. What do you really want? What do you really want out of life? It's, it's critical to our lives. But do we spend much time chewing on that question at all? And I'm not talking about little things. I'm talking about, you know, what do you want out of life? What, what do you really want out of life? See, our North American context has, has gotten a little bit disrupted in, in answering this question because our want is usually dictated or distorted by what we see. It's not necessarily what's churning in our heart, 
But, 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 but what we want oftentimes gets dictated to us by, by what we see. I'm going to put a quote up here by St. John of Chrysostom. Chrysostom. Now, he said years ago, men, and, and today, Mary, this is uh, hundreds and hundreds of years old, so I would add women. Men and women are nailed to the things of this life. What picture you got in your mind? Men and women are nailed to the things of this life. We're nailed to, we're, we're attached to that which we see. We're, we're consumed by it. And today, the call that I want to make during the, the minutes that I have your attention for, at least those the ones that you're here in the building when I'm speaking for, I want to call your attention to look beyond the things of this life. To, to look to the horizons of, uh, of eternity and beyond. Because when we only look at the stuff of this life, when we're nailed heart, mind, and soul to this life, we live only half a life. We, we live only half the life that God gave us uh, to live. So this is going to be a spiritual conversation. Starting with some real earthy stuff. The spiritual conversation has to do with what's your existence about? What's the purpose of it? See, the question today is, what do you really want? What is it for you? I mean, what, what do you really want? Is it trinkets? Do you want trinkets? Uh, is, that, is that what you're pursuing? Do you want just trinkets out, out of life? I, I mean, I, I was with one of my nephews not too long ago, and he said his aunt had bought one of the Colorado State cars. I said, what's the Colorado State cars? He says, you know, a Subaru. Everybody has them. Everybody out there has a Subaru. They see somebody else driving them, they buy one. And I said, well, I, I didn't know about that rule, and I lived there for a little while, but, but we never had one. But apparently now everyone has a Subaru. Why? Because they saw what the Joneses were driving. They said, we got to keep up. And if you get into the pursuit of trinkets, and you know this because you and I have pursued some trinkets in our life, you know what happens to most of our trinkets, right? They end up at the end of the driveway with a free sign taped to them, don't they? Golf clubs, other kind of stuff. I mean, is that all we want out of trinkets? I, I tell you a horrible story about trinkets. It happened here not too long ago. I was in my office with, with a woman and her mother, actually, um, who, the woman had been married here, and uh, she was disrupted. She was pretty broken up. Things had fallen apart in her marriage a half a, half a year or less after they'd been married. And uh, she wasn't one of us. She was one that used our beautiful building as, as her church for that particular event. And uh, when she was sitting there talking, she was sitting at the table in my office, she had her hand on the table, and I thought, I looked at her at her, wet, at her engagement ring, and I said, oh, my gosh. I, I don't know if it, it looked like one of those things, you know, you give to little kids that's a lollipop, that the diamond was so giant on there. And, and, and I was like, holy cow. And she, she was left the office for a few minutes, and her mom was talking to her, and she said, I said, holy cow. I said, that's, I feel so bad that these kids are having marriage troubles, but I said, that's got to be one of the biggest diamond rings I've ever seen. And she says, well, here's the sad thing about this pastor. She never really wanted that man. She just wanted that ring. Doesn't that just gut you? Because her, 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 her life, unfortunately, at that moment was in the pursuit of trinkets. And, and trinkets never fill us up. They never fill us up. Because we always want more. We always want the bigger one. We always want a better one. We always want the bestest one. So what do you really want? Do you want trinkets? Do you, do you want fame? 
I mean, is that what we're pursuing after? I'm asking part of this facetiously, but I did do a Google search, and and why, on answers.com, you can look this up, and preferably not right now, but you could, because we got Wi-Fi, but the... uh, if you look at Answers.com, uh, young people in America, why do you want to be famous? Because everyone will know who I am. Because everyone will, will know who I am. You know, one day, I, 25 years ago, I got on an airplane and was seated next to a guy, uh, Bart Starr. Some of you remember him. He was a quarterback, Green Bay Packers. And uh, some of you, you know, love him and all that kind of stuff. But he was also a coach. He had just not too pri- long prior to this, stopped being the coach of the Green Bay Packers. And when we were, this was pre-911, 25 years ago. So when we were seated in the airport, he was, uh, you know, still on the plane. He was seated by the window and I was on the aisle. And one after another person had him sign this, that, and the other thing. And he was very gracious, signed everything. And I said, and they left and he said, I said, man, I said, uh, it's kind of tough, you know, isn't it? He says, I said, it's hard being loved like that. He says, yeah, he says, you know, they didn't love me this much when I was eight and eight as the coach. But a lot of us today don't even know who, who, who he is. Let me, let me give you a little quiz. So Beloit College always puts a mind test out at the beginning of every year. Here's, their te- here's part of their test for next year's entering freshman class. Okay, They put a test out to show parents how much the world has changed during the lifetime of their kids, and what the kids' perspective of the freshman is that's coming in. These are about fame. Listen to this. For next year's entering college freshman class, the kids that just graduated last week from, from Mary Lynn, Mario Burnett, all that kind of place, LBJ has always been a basketball player, not a president. LBJ is LeBron James. Arnold Palmer has always been a drink, not a person. This one gets me because this is part of my kids growing up. Britney Spears has always been on classic rock stations. She's not ever put out anything new. And the green giant was always Shrek. He never sold vegetables. So. It's right there on the test. You can look it up. Fame comes. Fame goes, fame dies, it has no sustainability. So, so what do you really want? Do you want trinkets? Do you want fame? Do you want fortune? You know, <clears throat> being a millionaire isn't as big a deal in the United States as it used to be. I mean, like, if any of us, if there was a line to sign up, want to be a millionaire, we'd get in it. I get that. But, you know, millionaires are not even one in a million in America anymore. 4.6 million millionaires in the United States today. Let me give you a little context. If you took the cities proper of Los Angeles, 3.8 million people, and San Francisco, 800,000 people, and put them together, that's how many millionaires there are in the U.S. That's a lot of people that have over a million bucks, right? Now, the interesting thing about that, too, is I also looked up how many millionaires have lost over a million dollars. And the answer is thousands of them. Thousands and thousands of people have made millions of dollars, but they've also lost millionaires. So, so are, we pursu- are we pursuing fortune? Because <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that fortunes can be made, but they can also be lost. Now, I want to give you a little testimony to one. Um, J.C. Penney was a retail empire. You know, I mean, he had this huge retail empire. Some of you remember the Penney stores. And J.C. Penney, <clears throat> later in his life, became a Christian. 
But in the early part of his life, he was pursuing this dream of being absolutely having all the money. And here's what he said. No matter how much money I had, I always wanted more. Always wanted more, but it could never satisfy me. We know that. We, we know what Penny came to, and, and we know that, that what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 is this. Do not store up in tr- your treasures for yourself on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why? Because fortune comes and go. Now, now get this. Don't go home with this and say, Pastor Mike told us not to have money. That's not what I said. I, I did not. Because you know as well as I do, some of the dreams and aspirations of building the kingdom of God take some finance in the world in which we live in North America. What I am telling you is to say, live, man. Live on the earth. Enjoy the things of earth. Enjoy everything that God has provided you, but don't let that all be all that you do. Don't be nailed to the things of the earth because they don't last. That's part of our life. It's not all of our life. When that's all we concentrate on is these kind of things, fame, fortune, trinkets, we're living half a life. And God has provided us much more than that. And, and that's what all this bread talk is about in John chapter 6. This is what, what Jesus is talking about. You see, Jesus encounters these Jews on the other side of the lake. You know, after he took the stroll across the lake, pursuing the disciples who were in the boat. And he realized when he met them face to face that they'd missed the entire meaning of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, now, Keith will probably talk about this a little bit more next week. But see, the Jews believed that when the Messiah came, he would replicate the miracle of Moses. The miracle of Moses, in their mind, was that for 40 years, the manna came down from heaven and, and while they were in the wilderness, and they had food to eat. And so they believed that when the Messiah came to earth, that he would replicate that, that miracle. Apparently, though, the difference being that this bread would already be baked. Okay? Because it was baked what he gave them on the sea, uh, on the seashore. But, but, but Jesus said, you've missed this. Moses didn't give anybody any bread. Moses was there. But God gave the bread. God gave the bread to help you get by day by day. But physical bread comes and goes. It's, it's, it's perishable. It's like everything else on earth. I, I want to take you back to our, our time at Coco's that used to be JoJo's. It's between Pepe's and Chi-Chi's. We were leaving there one day. We were leaving there one morning. And there was a business guy, you know, guy probably my age now, standing outside waiting for us to leave so he could get in and have his coffee. And he says to me, you in that Bible study? I said, yeah, I am. He says, you get home, look up Luke 4.4. 4. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? It's not just bread that we need. Jesus tells us this physical bread, it'll come and go. And he goes on in verse 33 and says, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And their response to that was, Sir, Give me this bread always, which is a direct parallel to what the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus had met a bit ago in in John chapter 4 said, Sir, give me this water always that I might not thirst. And and I tell you all that to, to get to this. The spiritual awakening always comes with a request. It always comes at the end of a request that we have. Our spiritual awakening always comes when we say, Lord, I come to you. 
Lord, give me this bread. Lord, give me this water. Lord, give me. Really, really want. And what do we really want? What we really want is that which sustains us. And that which fills us. You see... What we really want is what we're purposed for. What we really want is the treasure of an eternal relationship. We don't need trinkets. We don't need fame. We don't need fortune. What we need is the the treasure of an eternal relationship. And that eternal relationship is originated by God. You see, God creates us for a relationship. He doesn't create us. You know, God, you know, so, so many times I listen to people talk in coffee shops and other places. And I listen to what they say about God, which incidentally, just as an aside, People talk about God in coffee shops and workplaces and all those kind of things. Christians need to peek up your ears. And I, 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 as I go through these, the four pieces I want to share with you this morning, you know, if you're working on your Jesus story, here's some good places to take some notes. So many people, and I've heard it said many times, that, you know, God just made creation and then just let it go. And, and he's just kind of like, you know, up there above us all, just watching it. Just watching to see what, what will happen to everything. And he gave us free will and he says, well, gosh, I wonder if they'll find me. You know, like it's some sort of treasure hunt or something like that to find God. But, but that's not what happens. Well, you know, God originates this idea of relationship because he makes us so that he can be in relationship with us. He creates us, then he gives the law so that we might understand. He says, hey, we're in relationship. If you really want to be in good relationship with me, live like this. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's some other things. If you really want to know me, live this way, because that's the way I want people to live. And when people didn't, he sent some boys. He sent the prophets. He sent Elijah. He sent, he sent you know, Jeremiah. He sent Malachi. He sent all these, you know, Hosea, all those folks to come to his people and say, come back to God. He wants to be in relationship with you. That's what you're created for. He originated this relationship with you. You're breaking it. Come back to him. But when people didn't listen, God didn't ponder it. He didn't say, gosh, what should I do next? He says, I'm going to go invite him myself. In three dimensions. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send one just like them. And he came in Jesus Christ. That's what the incarnation is all about. When we talk about the one loaf, whether it's at communion or anywhere, we're talking about all of us having one invitation in Jesus Christ. This invitation to a relationship with Jesus, and it's all the time. It's not just periodically. It doesn't, it's not like God just invites you on Sunday morning between 8.30 and 9.30 and say, hey, come to God. It's, that invitation is there all the time. It's to you. It's for you. It, it, it is reaching into your soul and saying, come, be part of this. And it's tied not to just these moments, but it's tied forever. So, so what do we really want? We want an eternal relationship with God that's originated by God the Father and advocated by Jesus, who is the great I Am. You know, some of you remember Larry King, you know, famous TV and radio personality. Larry King was famous for the interviews that he, he gave. And one of the times he was being interviewed, I can't remember what television show it was on. I saw it, but I can't remember because, you know, well, I'm in my 50s. Hurts me more than it hurts you. Um, and, and, and the interviewer asked Larry King, if you could only have one interview of one person in all of history, who would it be? 
would be Jesus Christ. And if you could only ask him one question, what would it be? Ask him if the virgin birth was true. Why that question? He said, because if the virgin birth is true, everything else he said about himself has to be true. So what does Jesus say about himself? He says, I am. He, he gives himself unapologetically the same title that, that Moses gives to give Pharaoh. When, when Moses says, who should I tell sent me? God said to him, tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. And so when Jesus says, is, is asked, well, who are you? He says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and, and the life. I'm the great shepherd of the sheep. He directly related himself by saying, I am. I'm not a sales manager from God. I'm not the regional representative of God to, to Israel. I am God in person coming to show you how I want to be in relation with you. And the Jews know that. They know he's relating himself directly to God. He's saying that I am the method. I mean, get what Jesus says about himself. I am the method to knowing God. I am the message to knowing God. And I am the meaning for knowing God. I am the method of all people's lives. I am the message of all people's lives. And I am the meaning of all questions of, of, of all God's life. So when we, and I think deep thinking people of every generation, have said what these guys in John chapter 6 say in response to that. They said, what should we do? We want to know God. What should we do? Jesus just answers clearly and succinctly. Believe in him who says, I am the great I am. Believe in him who the Father sent. Your engagement and my engagement must be in him. We must engage ourselves with him. And so, so what do we want? We, we want, do we really want to, what we really want is, is a treasure of an eternal relationship that's originated by God the Father, that's advocated by Jesus the great I am, and that's engaged by the seeking human heart. You know, we have a place in this. God does the first two steps. But then we have to engage. We have to do something about that. What is the do? Well, it's not a bunch of works. You know, this is bonus material. I didn't give this to the first service. What are we supposed to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's it. What are we supposed to do? We're to believe on Jesus Christ. I love the Old Testaments, or the old, the old versions of the Bible that don't say believe in Jesus. That, that means we put ourselves in him, and I get that. I love it when it says believe on Jesus, because that's wonky language for us. But what it means is put your whole self on him. Put your whole spirit, everything you're going to be, Everything you've been, everything you want to be, put it in Jesus. Trust in him and him alone. Believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Because satisfying God does not come from the works we do. And some of you do amazing works. I, I marvel at this conversation. I heard Brianna, uh, Brianna up here this morning inviting you to become you know, part of FLY. One thing I know for sure. Marian Methodist isn't going to have a hard time getting volunteers for Fly because we don't have a hard time getting volunteers for anything that serves people outside this church. So I, I'm assuming that she'll probably be done by the end of this week getting volunteers for the whole summer. So sign up quick because there's a line in front of you. But the thing of it is, we don't have problems doing the works. But that's not what this is about. It, what, what this is about is believing. It doesn't come from the work what we do, but in whom we believe. I return back to J.C. Penney. 
who years prior, uh, when he was seeking his mission, he, was, he realized that no matter what he did, it wasn't enough. He always wanted more. And then he got horribly, deathly sick. He was covered with boils. They thought he was going to die. His pastor gave him a testament, the New Testament. And he began reading the New Testament. And in, in, in his later ages, J.C. Penney became a Christian because here's what he realized. There was nothing he had, nothing that he had accumulated, nothing he had attained, nothing he could buy, no doctors he could arrange for that would satisfy him, that would give him peace with the medical condition, with the brokenness of his mind that he was facing at the time. And what he said was, after all this praying, was only Jesus can satisfy did you know you were buying jeans from a guy when you were a youth that believed that only Jesus can satisfy? I did not. But what he knew is what I know. Is that only Jesus can satisfy the human heart. So, so of course, I know it's 8.30 service, and a lot of you come here and a lot and say, Why? Why so much talk, Pastor Mike, in these sermons about John, about belief? Don't we kind of assume when we come into church that we all believe in Jesus Christ and we put our lives in him? My answer is, yeah, no. I don't believe that. I want to believe that. I want to agree with that. But here's what I know. Life is hard. And I know that there are things tearing against you all the time. And I know that some of you come here to be recharged. I've heard that expression a lot. I come to be recharged, which means you're struggling out there. Batteries that need to be charged are ones that have gone a little bit dead, right? We, we, I work under the assumption, and I won't cast that on Keith, but I know we preach often under the assumption that all of us here need encouragement to enrich and deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because while it is true that many are deep in him and we want to have nothing but him and he is all that we want we also know that it is easy to wander away things that our job cause us to wander away things in our health cause us to wander away things in our relationships cause us to wander away things get put up as as blockades as obstacles between us and pursuing Jesus each and every week. So when I come and say, I want to preach for transformation, I want to preach for the human heart to come to Jesus Christ, I'm not apologetic about that, even though I'm standing in front of a church that has shown great acts of faith, great acts of service, great acts of mission throughout the course of its 175 years. It's in the moment we stand right now, because one thing David told us, we can only be faithful in our generation. So the question is, right now. The question right now is, how is it with your soul? Are you engaged in a relationship with Jesus Christ that has eternity in mind and that is your main thing? I hope you are. But if you don't, understand this. You're invited into it. You're invited to believe on Him. He is dependable. I love these words in verses 38 40 down in there, in that part of the scriptures, where it says, where he shows his dependability. He says, I will not drive away any who have come to me. I've had way too many people come to me, and they're, they're Christians, living Christian lives, saying, well, I've sinned so much, or I've done this, that Christ doesn't accept me anymore. Let me tell you, he drives no one away. If you put your life into him, he drives no one away. Nor, at the end of this, Will he lose any? You know, 
We have problems every once in a while. Don't you ever been in charge of a group of anything? And you, you, you say, well, we started with ten, but we only ended with nine. Well, what happened? Well, we lost one along the way. That's not good. In, in Jesus' language, he never loses one along the way. Once they're in me, I won't ever lose them. And so I invite you into a relationship in which you won't be lost. Because we've all been in relationships where we've been lost, right? Along the way. So lastly, I'm going to turn this towards home. What do we really want? What we really want is an eternal relationship with God. It's originated by God the Father. That's advocated by Jesus the great I Am. That's engaged in the human heart and is irrevocable by God's word. Irrevocable means, for those of you that are younger, means it can't be broken. It's irrevocable. It can't be pulled back. See, God never lies. He never pulls his word back. Once you're his, you're his. You can't pull back from the relationship because he wants to be in an eternal relationship, which is one that lasts forever. Let me give you a little insight to how Paul puts this. Paul, in the book of Romans, writes this. And and I've prescribed this reading to some of you. I know that because it's one of my favorites. Paul, after talking about all the things that can go wrong in life, says this. What then shall we say in response to all these things, all the junk that can break us in our relationship? If God is for us, who can be against us? Really, that's all you need to know. It's really all you need to know. But Paul wrote some things that really might uh, explain a little bit more to you. Let me go on. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and who is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake. We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be conquered, be slaughtered. No. In all these things, everything, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the great love of Jesus Christ that is ours in God. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Amen. What do you really want? I mean, really want. I'll speak for myself. I want the treasure of an eternal relationship that's mine, and it can be yours if you completely and fully engage in it. Now, there's no proper credentials from this. You don't have to have gone to 15 Bible studies. You don't have to have gone to the Alpha Course. You don't have to be a tithing member of the church. You don't even have to have been here for more than a year. You don't even have to be a member. All you have to do is say, Jesus, you're mine, and I want to be yours. And his heart will link with yours, and you'll be in relationship with others. So I'm going to say a prayer in just a minute. And if if you want that, and today's your moment, just take it. Let's pray. Lord God, we came for a lot of reasons today. A lot of us came because we always come. Some of us came uh, with pretty low expectations, hoping for a great breakfast, seeing a few friends, hoping the church wasn't too cold. 
Some of us came hungry, Lord, not for food that can fill us, but for your spirit. And for those of us, Lord, that came for that, we ask your blessing upon us. We ask that you might open our hearts even now and allow us to receive you in, that we might live with you forever. Lord, we've hesitated before. Reach out to you. Let us not hesitate now. This is our prayer, Lord. We have no other. And in your name, pray it. Amen. Uh, one of you have a testimony for us. Take a look at the screen. Marion Methodist is special to me because when I was looking for a church eight years ago, I came to Marion Methodist and I immediately felt at home. Uh, Pastor Mike's sermons were always engaging and uplifting, and the church staff was really welcoming. And I just knew that I had found a church home. I felt that I could volunteer and step into a lot of different areas and give service to God. I choose to give my gifts to Mary Methodist specifically for the children's ministry. Uh, that's important for me because I have a six-year-old daughter, and I love having her go to Sunday school and learn all the different Bible stories, um, and I especially love VBS. She gets excited for it every year. We've been playing the CD in our car for the last couple weeks, and she already knows all the songs, so it's a big highlight of the summer, so I, I really I give because I love the children's ministries. My name is Kathy Decker, and these are the reasons I give to Marian Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping God this way? Will the ushers please come forward? <laughs> 